Turn with me if you have your Bibles, and we're going to just check this last portion in the book of James. And uh, I'll be honest with you, this has been a really challenging book, but especially these last few verses uh, challenged me a lot because I found myself writing and writing and had so much thoughts and going back and forth. And uh, God really, you know, and God really worked in my life. As I was reading it, and uh, I just pray that God, you'll open your hearts to, uh, and honestly, I, I could preach, and I, I won't do this, but I could preach for six hours on this topic, and I don't think we'll ever get to where and how deep and how rich this topic really is, and how much we need to know. But the focus is verse 16 in chapter 5, where it says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a powerful, I mean, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Another one says what? Availeth much. And in this passage from verse 13 all the way through verse 20, you see the word prayer. (coughs) I think it's used almost seven times or it's referred to implied seven times. And uh, what's the point of prayer? And uh, if you know. Uh, about James itself, the author, uh, in the second century when people talked and referred to James by, I mean, the second century we're talking about not the initial disciples, but the disciples of these apostles as such. And James had a nickname. He was called Camel Knees. Camel Knees. Because he was known to be a person in prayer, they said his knees were like rough, like the camels. And that was his reputation. And so if someone has that reputation, someone has that nickname let me tell you he knows what it means when he's talking about prayer because he was known like I said he had that the reputation to be to spend time a lot of time hours on his knees in prayer before God and as I begin this morning I want I want to share a few truths as such just before we get into the passage number one There is tremendous power in prayer. There is tremendous power in prayer. Number two, prayer is the greatest privilege of a Christian's life. Prayer is the greatest privilege of a Christian life. Prayer isn't, I'm not talking about big lofty prayers. I'm saying it's just the ability to talk to God. To talk to God. That's a privilege. The greatest privilege we have. So it is the greatest power. It is the greatest privilege in Christian life. What prayer can do. Prayer can do what God can do basically. And he uses prayer to to work through the situation. And like I said the things. He says it himself again in John. He says the things I do you will do even in greater measure actually. But it starts with prayer. The whole context. The greater works that he's talking about. It's the context, the whole context of that passage in John 14, if I'm not mistaken, is prayer. Greater works than me. So prayer is powerful. Prayer is the greatest privilege. We need to realize that prayer is also our greatest responsibility. Prayer is our greatest responsibility. But let's be real and real in this 
moment because prayer is powerful. Prayer is our greatest privilege and prayer is our greatest responsibility. Yet prayer is very often our greatest failure. I know too many Christians who fail to pray. We talk a lot about prayer and we study a lot about prayer. But very often we fail to pray itself. We just limit prayer to if to the time we sit down for meals or something. So the challenge as we wrap this book up is to talk and look about what James has to say about prayer. Verse 13, it says, is, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is there anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Then it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Then he gives us an example. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. Wrapping it up he says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. When should we pray or when should I pray? I'm just going to go through some of these verses here and just go through how James lays it out. Number one, the first thing he said is anyone in, of you in trouble? We should pray when we're hurting. The idea here is when we're hurting emotionally. Because that's what the idea of trouble in this passage is talking about. We pray when we are hurting emotionally. When our emotions have been hurt. And the idea again, the Greek context here, the Greek word. It talks about to be in distress as such. We are under some kind of stressful situation that causes us stress. There's some kind of tension and it wearing us down on the inside. Something outside is affecting us on the inside and we're worn out emotionally. Whatever it is, a financial crisis, a, a relational crisis or whatever. Something inside makes your heart break and now you seek God in prayer. It's the same thing I think. When David says, in my distress, I called out to the Lord. In my distress, I called out to the Lord. The thing is here, when we are stressed out, we can either run away and hide. Try and pretend the situation is not happening. When we are stressed out, we do that well. Another thing we do really well, which a lot of us do, when we are stressed out, we just snap. Snap and break. It just crushes us totally. Or we snap and take out our frustration on someone else. But what does the Bible tell us to do when we are stressed out, emotional? Pray. Come to God and pray. When you can pray, you, we need to pray for our problems, basically. We need to pray for our situation. If it's creating stress, I love that song. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And the next verse, it says, if anyone is happy, it's talking about emotions again. 
If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise or let him sing songs of praise. And so he's creating this, you know, this extremes there. On one hand, you're really uh, stressed out. On the other hand, you're really uh, happy. You got to do the same thing. You got to pray and praise God. Doesn't matter if you figured this out already. Life is going to be, you're going to have your high highs and then you're going to have your low lows. The point James is trying to say is through that, whatever the situation, learn to pray and praise God. Pray and praise God. The Bible says weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. And I think one of the qualifications and the hardest things to do as a pastor is to switch gears. Because on one hand you have someone celebrating something and the next moment that we can put for an appointment is going through such a hard struggle. But learning that we can praise God in every situation gives us the balance we need. Gives us the balance that we all need to have when we look to God in prayer no matter what the situation. And here he's saying no matter what, whether you're on a high or whether you're low and troubled, praise him. Praise him. Again, please, you don't praise God because of, I mean, of what's happening. You praise God in the situation you are in. Please, there's a difference between the two and we really ought to know that. We don't rejoice when something bad happens to us. But we can still rejoice knowing that God is still in control of our lives even though the bad thing is happening to us. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. Not for the situation but in every situation. Here's the deal. He's talking about happiness. Because joy is not dependent on the circumstance we are in. Happiness is, but joy is found even in the midst of the hardest situation. That's why he says rejoice. Even in the happy times, praise God. You know, when we come together as a church, I really feel joy ought to be one of our, 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 our calling cards as such. When people come in here and they need to say, hey, you know what, that's a joyful group of people. It's not that everything's going right and well, everything else, it doesn't matter because we are joyful people. I don't think we need to be depressed when you come to church. He says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Amen. We can come with our problems, bring it all in. But when we come here, we rejoice because we know God is in control. We have brothers and sisters who are walking with us, along with us, who will encourage us through the situation we are in. And then we will learn to rejoice because our God is in control of that situation. Amen. Rejoice. Praise Him. Praise Him. Again. I'm not denying the gravity of your situation. But we can still praise him in the midst of that. Praise him. Don't run and hide. Don't break. But pray. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Because he he cares for us. So the first situation like he talks about. When do we pray? When our emotions are, uh, are emotionally hurting. The second thing in verse 14 and 15, he basically talks about we pray when we're hurting physically. Please understand, that's not the only time we pray, okay? It's not only when we have trouble, that's when we pray. It's not talking about that at all. When I'm hurting physically, I ought to pray. Verse 14, it says, is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has sinned, he will 
be forgiven. The word there for sick, are you sick, is the word used for a person who has lost all strength. Lost all strength. He's totally fatigued as such. It's the same word that's used for Lazarus when he was sick and then he died as such. It's the same word that's used when he's talking about, you know, the guy who was by the pool of Bethsaida and, you know, waiting. He did not have, he was sick. He didn't have the strength to even walk into that pool. That's the kind of sickness that he's implying at this point of, uh, this point of time. The idea here is that when you are beyond the help of any human doctor, you pray. Again, please, it's not that you pray only when you're that sick. He's not talking about that at all. But when you are sick, pray. Pray. The elders of the church are to come and pray over him and anoint him with oil. Please, you pray for everything. You know, don't pray. Don't, if you have a cold or a cough, pray for that. Pray for the small things too. Okay, I'm not saying only pray for the really important. I don't want to bother God with the small things here. He's not saying that at all. Pray. When we have a physical need, pray. Because God is the one who heals he is our healer, ultimately. And I just want to touch on a few things with regard to healing because we see so much around us right now. So much about healing that we see around and there's some things that are totally out of, you know, they're not biblical at all, some of the things they do. But I just want to see what the Bible says first about sickness. One, there is and John talks about this in John. He talks about, you know, where there is sickness unto death, where God allows that sick person, you know, and that sickness leads to death. And, you know, it's not, it just talks about that kind of sickness. Please, sickness is not a lack of faith. And I'll touch on this a little while. Please don't think ever equate sickness to a lack of faith. But the truth is this, not every sickness will be healed the way we want it to be healed. Death is healing in God's hands too. Please understand that part. Because then we live in a resurrected body. That's the perfect healing that I could ever want. And so the Bible talks about a sickness unto death. The Bible talks of sickness as discipline sometimes. Especially if you read Corinthians, when they were talking, they were taking the Lord's Supper without really honoring it. And Paul says, that's why some of you are sick. So there is a sickness that God uses as discipline when we don't walk in the way we ought to walk sometimes. So that is a sickness that's possible too. Another kind of sickness he says, and especially uh, when Jesus says some of the sickness, why are they sick? He says sickness is for the glory of God because when there is healing, God is glorified. And so you have, you find that kind of sickness where your sickness actually ends up as a testimony to which brings glory to God. So you find that kind of sickness. And I think Jesus points to that when they ask him, okay, this guy is blind. Is it his fault or his father's fault or whatever? What does Jesus say? It's for God's glory. And so you find that kind of sickness. And then we also find sickness that is caused by demonic powers too. In terms more of oppression, you know, because sickness can be an attack from the enemy itself. And so you have, like I said, you can have all, and there are a couple more, but There are so many different kinds of sicknesses that we find in the Bible. Sickness from the enemy caused about the ones, and I've just touched on the main ones for a little. But the point here is sickness and healing go together in some way or the other. We pray when we are sick. Now please understand, and I had a friend in Bradley and me talked about it recently. She 
her mother passed away but she wouldn't allow them to take her mother to be buried and so she took her mother's body and laid it in front of a tv especially when that one evangelist was praying and prayed believing that god would touch and bring her mom back to life now i'm not i'm not questioning her faith but sometimes in our christian faith we get blind to the fact that god's will will be done and so she was there i mean in faith and then ultimately it was okay but we have so many different attitudes and ideas of healing you see some of these guys again i'm not judging the sincerity of her faith please don't get me wrong there but sometimes you watch these guys on tv and the healing is all about them they're so flamboyant in the way they heal and you know they come into town and hold these big meetings and everything else you know they they reserve these huge auditoriums and they you know they advertise as you know all these things the cameras and everything else but a lot of it is show basically a lot of it again we need to understand if the attention is not on god and the attention is more on the person performing those healings as such we need to be discerning when things like that happen Amen. we need to have wisdom when things like that happen because you you see them on tv they're so flashy you know they're so flashy and like i said all the attention ultimately is drawn unto them really jesus really 90% of the time jesus did a miracle he told that person don't say anything about it really if there is no humility right there i would i wouldn't question the gift i won't question his calling but i would be a little more discerning when i go and listen and talk and whatever i do we need to be wise to people out there and you know just because and you need to know just because it's a miracle it doesn't have to be from god please understand that miracles the devil can duplicate a miracle anytime he wants to one story jumps in my mind is moses he threw that rod down it became a serpent guess what the egyptian magicians did the same thing so just because someone is performing miracles please does automatically assume oh this is god doing everything we need to be wise and we need to be discerning the way that person lives his life matters to me too And so when we are we just got to be careful don't run blindly after those kind of people and the other group that we have and we find them again it's coming back as the name it and claim it kind of person you just got to claim your healing and you walk in healing and if you don't get healed there's a problem with your faith that is not what the bible teaches us we believe in a god that heals we believe in jehovah rapha the lord that heals that's his name that's part of his character it says by his stripes we are healed we believe in healing all the way but we also need to know that not all people are healed and just because you aren't healed that doesn't mean your faith is lacking and i honestly and bradley testify to many of these evangelists who come into it India and India is not most of these people don't know anything about Christ in terms of the people you know they just see miracles and they see this i mean i remember this guy coming first hand i'm telling you my life and how i struggled with this i had this guy and they were advertising on tv and this guy is throwing crutches into the crowd and kicking the the wheelchairs right across and people were jumping and praising god now does god work like that yes he does he can 
And I was in these meetings and I called some of my non-Christian friends with me. I said, come. And they were there just to see the side show as such. Because they said, oh, we'll see what happens kind of thing. And we had people go forward in wheelchairs and everything else. And we had prayer for hours. And then they come back in the wheelchairs. And I will never forget my non-Christian friend poking me in the, in the ribs and saying, very sarcastic. Taking a dig at me and saying, I guess they didn't have the faith that you're talking about, right? And it hurt so bad because that in reality is a lot of times how we live our life. On the other hand, I've seen people and I've had students who come in crying because they're guilty. They didn't get the healing because they think there's some kind of something wrong with my faith, pastor. There's something wrong with my faith. I didn't get healed. Please, that's not the God we believe in. That's not how God works. Sometimes he heals. I mean, he always heals. Let me tell you that. But it's not always the way we want to see it. God is a God who heals. It is not a lack of faith. It is not that you have. And I've had a preacher say this. And I've heard this. You probably have. You didn't get healed because you have a hidden sin somewhere. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We will always have hidden sins on this side. We're not just hidden sins. We'll always be sinful people on this side of eternity. So if God is waiting for you to get righteous before he heals you, none of us will be healed. Let's not get carried away, you know. Because the truth is this. False teaching creates false hope. And when that hope is not met, they crash and burn. All their faith goes down the drain. Your teaching needs to be built on the word of God. God is a God that works miracles, but please don't use God as his magic, you know, the genie that pops out of a bottle. I use this, don't command, and it frustrates me when people command God to heal. I'm like, is God serving you? You serving God? You got that wrong there? All of a sudden, God is there to meet all my needs, you know, and we just want this, 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 this. That's not, please understand, God is God. He is sovereign. He is above all things. Every situation in your life is under his control. We can never get so arrogant that we command God to heal us right now. We can claim healing, yes. We believe in healing. Yes, it is God's will that all of us should be healed. But we're not going to get disappointed just because we don't see it the way he or we expect it to to be. talking about one person and he was telling me they were sitting together and they were talking about suffering and he was like oh Christians should not suffer I'm like where in the Bible why did Jesus suffer in this world you will have no no trouble at all what Bible are you reading just please understand the point don't don't it's not a lack of faith Then you have the people on the other side of the spectrum who say, and you find a lot of these more modern uh, people who like, you know, healings and everything else stopped uh, by the time the apostles died. That first and second century, a lot of them believe that that's when all the healing stopped. You know, the spirit is not moving like the way. That's when all the gifts were stopped operating. We don't have it right now. And they're here in church and they believe in church and everything else, believe in the Bible. But they believe that the gifts have stopped moving. Stop working. So don't pray for healing as such. That's not true. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe in a God who does not change. If he healed then, he will heal right now. If he doesn't do that right now, that means he's changed. But my God does not change. 
And so we believe in healing wholeheartedly because he is an unchanging God. If he said he will do it and did it back then, he says because the word is true and alive and as relevant today and will be relevant till he comes back again. Every single word in it is true. If he healed back then, he will heal right now. Because he is the same God. Healing is from God and there will be. Like I said, if he did it back then, he will do it now. The other version that we get to healing is the people on the outside who believe if anything is more than the natural, it's fake. Trust me, we have people in the church like that too. Oh, that healing, it's not real. They always doubt that God can heal. God can work supernaturally. They reduce God to a natural, you know, being. That God will only work in natural ways. But we believe in a God who works in supernatural ways. We're not fanatics, religious fanatics as such. But we believe God works in the supernatural realm. And when he works in the supernatural realm, it influences the realm that we live in right now. We believe in God who heals people. We believe in God who heals people. We believe in a God. We believe in prayer of healing. When you are sick, we pray for healing. Because God heals. God heals people even today. Even today. So if you are sick, what are you supposed to do? You call the elders of the church. You call the elders of the church. You're talking about the spiritual leaders in the church, you know. You call them, not just the professional healers. You know, sometimes like, oh, that person has the gift of healing, so I'll only go to that person. Because when that person prays, then I will be healed. It's not there. Call the elders of the church. Call the elders of the church. You got to realize this, and I found it interesting. When a person is sick, at least according to James, the sick person calls people to come and pray for him. You know, very often, I think most of them are sick and come. We get it backwards a little. You know, come on, bring. Did Jesus ever say, come on, bring your sick and come over? Or did the sick seek Christ? I think most of the time, and I was trying to think through, most of the time it was the sick people who came seeking Christ. And same thing, I think, goes over to healing too. And we need to learn to call the elders of the church. Then they will what? Anoint him with oil. Anoint him with oil. Let's go to that verse actually. Let me say that. I don't want to misquote it because I've learned it in so many different versions right now. It says, and the, uh, it says, if anyone is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Please understand, it's not the oil that made people well. It's the prayer offered in faith. The oil was just a symbol. <coughs> I know, I know I've done this too. I got oil that was anointed by a certain prophet to come. And I mailed it to me and I used that oil whenever I was sick. For some reason I thought that oil was a little more anointed than something else. But then you read this passage, it's nothing about the oil. It's the prayer of faith that brings healing. So let's not get caught up with the symbols as such. Yes, the oil was just a symbol right there. 
The anointing was a symbol of what the elders did. But it's the prayer of faith that brings healing. Okay, so you pray when you're, let me wrap this up. If you pray when you are hurting emotionally, you pray when you're hurting physically, because we believe God works miracles right now, right now, in our generation, in our lives too. And the last thing it says is, I pray when I hurt spiritually too. Because he talks about confession right there. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now in Jesus' time, you got to understand, a lot of them assumed sickness had only one source, which was sin. Again, that same story, you know, who sinned? He was born blind, who sinned? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, no, nothing of that sort. So sickness is not (coughs) always a result of sin, but there is something Something that happens, there is some power of confession, what happens. I'm not saying confessing that, denying reality. I'm talking about confession when it comes to sin. When I have people, and I've had people in my church, and um, in, in my office, and they've told me, or whatever, I've met them. I just want to share something that I've never shared to anyone else. And as soon as they say that, I know God is going to work, begin the healing process in their lives, because they're learning to get something off their chest and to somebody else. There is power in confession. Now, you've got to be careful. It's not come and confess. I mean, it's come and confess, not come and proclaim to the whole world what's going on. Be careful who we pick to. I think that's one of the things that I think the Catholics got right, at least. Where they come, you know, and I'm not saying create a box here and everybody come for confession. I'm not saying that at all. But there is, and psychologists will tell you, there is something therapeutic that happens when you vocalize something. And you hear that your sins are forgiven. That's not from the priest forgiving their sins. It's when you hear that when you come, God, when you come with an earnest heart and confess, not just to a person, but you confess him before the Lord, God brings healing. God brings healing. There's something about it. And again, be careful when you confess. If sometimes it's between you and the Lord. Confess it to the Lord. Sometimes if you have an issue with someone else and you've wronged someone else, you need to go and confess it to the other person. Now, if you do something that hurts the whole church, yes, you confess it before church. But please be careful who we go running to. But there is. God wants us to pray when we hurt spiritually. And it begins with confession. Begins with confession. Now, go to the next example. Who can pray? It says, he uses the example of Elijah. The point there is, Elijah was just like one of us. Just a human being who, who knew the highs, but he also knew the lows. I mean, he was not afraid to take on all those priests of Baal, but the next moment he's running for his life, totally depressed, stressed out, doesn't know where he's going to get food from. The whole point of using Elijah as an example is that he was just a man like you and me. He prayed And what happened? The rain stopped. He prayed and it rained again. A simple person. We don't have to be super spiritual to pray. Many of us have, let me tell you this. We're scared to pray and we're scared that healing won't happen if we pray. So we have to call someone else all the time to pray for us. God is not going to listen to only a super spiritual person's prayer. He listens to a prayer that's made with earnestness. 
with the right heart when it comes to God. And you pray like, a, like Elijah, just a simple person, just like you and me. So anybody, the point there is anybody can pray. When do you pray? Who can pray? Everybody can pray. And right at the end, I want to end with how can I pray? And how can I pray effectively? Just a few points you can add to this letter. First of all, it starts by asking. I must ask if I want to pray effectively. James says that. I need to ask. You have not because you do not ask. It starts by asking. Let's be specific in prayer. We need to be specific in prayer. Not just generalize, God bless you, thank you, you know, bless my life. Be specific in prayer. We ask and then God will move. The second thing, we need to ask first. Second, we have to have the right motives. We have to ask, have the right motives. Again, James himself says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. <coughs> Please understand, it's not wrong to be if I can use the word selfish in your prayer for asking God to bless you, that's totally okay. It's okay to ask God to bless you. It's okay to ask God for his favor. But please understand the ultimate purpose of him blessing you, your motive needs to be that God, you're going to bless me so that what you have blessed me with, I will use for your glory. Amen. That's what it is about ultimately. Bless me, God, yes, but bless me because I understand everything you give for me is actually for me to use for your glory. Bless uh, the motives we have. The ultimate reason has to be the glory of God. Then the verse, the second thing you ask first, second one was you ask for the right motives. You've got to ask with the right relationship with God. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man, again, and if you've been through my series on the Sermon on the Mount, we said, yes, do not reduce. Yes, righteousness has to do with holiness, but let's not reduce righteousness to only sinlessness as such. Because righteousness is about having the right relationship with God. It's about having that right relationship, that hunger and desire. It's not talking about, I mean, you know, sinlessness. It's talking about having a right relationship. When you have a right relationship, I have the confidence. When I have a relationship with someone, I have the confidence to go and ask him. When I have a need, now that I know that who he is, he knows who I am, I have the confidence to go and ask him for something. So let's not, yes, holiness is very much part of righteousness. But the greater picture there is having a right relationship with God. When we ask, we need to have that righteous relationship with him. That right relationship with him. Not a sinless person, but a person who has a right relationship. As I've said, God. Because again, if you think only God, and many of us think like that. You know, God's not answering my prayer because I've sinned somewhere. You know, it's not about that at all. We will never. God knows. Yeah, the righteousness covers. He covers our sin with his righteousness. Yes. That allows us to have that relationship with God. Then we can ask with confidence. And lastly, I have to say, we've got to ask, we ask in faith. We've got to ask in faith. Now, I do not know why God doesn't answer every prayer. I do not know why, doesn't, why God doesn't heal every single person that comes forward for prayer or prays for healing. But when I ask for God, 
I mean, ask for prayer and ask for healing. I ask in faith. That's my job. Obedience is asking in faith. The results are up to God. The results are up to God. I pray with faith, knowing God is able to heal. But like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I say, even if he doesn't deliver, his name will still be glorified. Now, I don't come with doubt in my heart. I have no doubt that God will heal. Some of us are scared to pray because we doubt. What if I pray for that person and he doesn't get healed? You cannot do that. You pray in confidence knowing God is able, God is willing, that's his will to heal. But ultimately I pray, God, not my will, but your will be done. My faith will not be shaken just because I don't hear the answer I like to hear. But I still pray in faith with confidence knowing my God is able. My God is able. My God is able to heal. We pray In faith. Got to ask God in faith. Leave the results up to him. Leave the results up to him. I've learned, like I said, as a young Christian, I I mean, especially as a young pastor, when people would call me to pray, and I was like, what if if he doesn't get healed? People think I'm not good, you know? I'm not spiritual enough to bring healing in their lives. What if God, I, I was scared. And I'll be honest, this happened several times. I was so embarrassed to pray in faith because what if God didn't answer? We don't have to be embarrassed about it. We know our lives are in Christ. He knows what's best for us. But we still ask in faith. Because I've seen way too many healings in my life. I've experienced his healing in my life. I've seen and experienced and witnessed healing in other people's lives too. To ever deny the fact that God is the healer today too. So we pray in faith knowing that he can and he will answer prayers according to his will and according to the fact that it will bring whatever the result, it will bring glory to his name and his name alone. The prayer of faith. That's what we need to do. Trust God when we pray. Pray in every situation. Praise Him in every situation. And let God do His thing. Bow your heads with me real quick. Like I said, there's so much in this whole topic of healing. Please. We are a church that believes in healing. If we didn't believe, we wouldn't pray for people to be healed. We believe and we have faith and we have total confidence. We have no doubt that God will heal people. Now, if he heals or he doesn't heal, that's not up to me to decide. But I will live by faith and not by sight. When I pray, I will pray with confidence. When I pray, I will pray with no doubt that God will heal. That God will heal. Whether it be that emotional need where someone's heart is so broken. I know God will heal and mend those broken hearts. Broken emotions, lives that have been torn apart. Only God can fix those lives. And I believe and I pray for healing. Those hurts that have been caused. Let me say there is only one balm of Gilead. That soothes and heals. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. Because we believe prayer changes things. Prayer changes things in this natural realm. 
physical. God touches. He heals. Please don't ever buy into the lie that just because you didn't receive your physical healing, your faith must not be strong enough. Don't buy into the lie that I must have some hidden sin that I've got to try and figure out and then only God will heal me. God will. That's His promise. It's a promise that by His stripes we are healed. The reason He was beaten, the reason He hung on that cross is that because by His blood that was shared, On that cross, yes, it accomplished our salvation, but it also brought us our healing. Trust in Him, church, have no doubt. Choose, determine in your hearts, live by faith, not based on the report of what the doctor says, not based on the report that someone else says. I love that verse. Whose report will you believe? And they answered, we shall believe the report of the Lord. His report says what? I am healed. I am free.